Um, we had an outreach and we were able to minister to um, some people, but even with that, it was, uh, you could say it was more of a Friendsgiving on Monday, and it was truly a joy to break bread with um, those of you who came and, and participated in that. And then um, that just continues on, right? Because sometimes what, we, what happens is not only do we observe um, Thanksgiving on Thursday, on the assigned day, but then we, we do it the next day and we, we do it the day after that. Um, it seems like it just, it starts there, I think, and uh, continues on till New Year's as far as the, the gathering together and the feasting, all, all that. So um, I, I saw a, um, a, a sign, something that someone had written, um, said, uh, so on Thanksgiving Eve, don't forget to set your scales 15 pounds back. <laughs> thought that was cute. <laughs> so this morning we're going to be in Luke chapter 9. We uh, are going through verses 21 through 27. Luke chapter 9. The title of this morning's message is Deny, Take Up, and Follow. Deny, Take Up, and Follow. That's central to our faith. Um, it's what we're called to do, commanded to do by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And um, I think we could be encouraged as we do study this portion of Scripture, keeping in mind that this is something that Jesus was teaching his disciples that had been walking with him for a number of years up to this point. Uh, they were learning what this uh, actually looked like, how to conduct themselves. And of course, the fulfillment, the completion of that would be known on the day of Pentecost as they would be filled with the Holy Spirit and they, were, they would be empowered by the Holy Spirit. And it's then that they would be given a fuller understanding of what Jesus is teaching in this portion of Scripture that we're going to take a look at and then how to um, walk it out in their own lives. So it's encouraging because, you know, as the Apostle Paul said at one point, he was the chief of all sinners, and, uh, and also that he had not yet attained, um, then we can really find comfort in that, knowing that the Lord is long-suffering, he's patient with us, and he's teaching us these things. Um, so as we come to this portion, and we're very familiar with it, deny, take up, you know, deny yourself, take up your cross, and then follow Jesus Christ. We're going to learn what that is even more so this morning as we, uh, as we study these verses. So Luke chapter 9, beginning in verse 21, says, And he strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one saying, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself. 
For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Father, as we consider these things that you spoke to not only your disciples, but all of those who were following you on that day. Lord, uh, desiring that they would come to an understanding of what you were referring to and how it is that they ought to conduct themselves as followers of you. Lord, may we take into account these words and apply them to our own lives that we may live lives that glorify you, that honor you. Lord, understanding the days in which we're living in, our manner of life, that as we, Lord, uh, perhaps uh, allow you to um, consider us, Lord, our, our lives, that we would Lord, be given to you and the work that you desire to have to complete right now, Lord, the work of sanctification, Lord, of molding us and shaping us into an instrument that can be used by you and reflects your glory, even if we're suffering, even if we're dealing with difficult situation, circumstances, Lord, may you be honored and glorified as we are steadfast and consistently follow you. And so, Father, we commit this time into your hands. We ask your blessing, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, as where we left off last week, this is simply a continuation of the conversation that Jesus was having with his disciples. When Jesus asked them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered Jesus saying, you are the Christ of God. Jesus told Peter that he did not come up with this on his own. We didn't cover that in this chapter, but we know that Matthew's account of this specific situation was covered in greater detail in Matthew chapter 16. Records the conversation. And in Matthew chapter 16, verse 17 It says, and Jesus answered him when Peter had replied to Jesus saying, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Uh, Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter and on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. I, I give you the greater details of this account because it, it leads to and it also encourages us uh, to what Jesus is doing with his disciples in this moment. 
What leads up to Jesus telling the disciples that if they want to follow him, that they must conform to his program of suffering. You know, we, we, we won't admit that that's exactly what we would like to experience, right? Who wants to experience suffering? And yet that's what we're called to. It's not enough, you see, to know the truth about Jesus' suffering. But Jesus was telling them that they must also conform to his suffering, that they may come to know life in him. This, of course, will be worked out a little bit more as we, as we go into the study of these verses. But it's not enough to know about his suffering. But Jesus calls on us. He commands us to walk in accordance to his own life. That he walked on this earth to conform to his suffering. That we may come to know life eternal. Peter didn't understand this. Although he had confessed that Jesus was the Christ of God. In fact, as we read through Matthew chapter 16 up to verse 20. We continue on in verse 21 where it says, From that time Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. How often, and this is our tendency, is to relieve someone of a bit of suffering. But we know, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete. Lacking nothing. What that trial or that suffering produces is something that the Lord allows in our lives to come to the realization that He is truly everything. Peter did not understand this. There are many who can relate to Peter and and not understand this. When we conform to the death of Jesus, we will then know the resurrected life of Christ and his power. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 21. Verse 7, not 21. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7 says, But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us but life in you. You know, we, um, 
might have heard that before as far as uh, chapter or, or verse uh, 8 where it says, We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. And, and we often see that in the context of, um, of, of being encouraged, but not necessarily to uh, be steadfast or to endure the persecutions or the trials or the sufferings that we're enduring, but really to fulfill something in our lives that are outside of Christ. And you wonder, well, if we are afflicted in every way but not crushed, who gets the glory? If we are perplexed but not driven to despair, in whose power do we find that we are not in despair And yet, we find hope in Christ as we're perhaps perplexed in the situation, trusting in Him. Persecuted, but never forsaken. And struck down, but not destroyed. We know this verse and we apply it in context to the life of Christ as we have found That our death in Him and resurrection has also given us the power and the understanding that we are not forsaken in Christ. And that for us, eternal life has been given to us by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. You know, prior to knowing what Jesus was explaining to the disciples and to the others who were following. Prior to us knowing this, this truth in Christ, that is that that we are perplexed and yet not driven to despair. We are we're not forsaken in Christ. We can act many times like Peter when he told Jesus that he will never experience the suffering and the death that he was describing. That's exactly what he told him when Jesus told him that he must suffer, be killed, persecuted, die and resurrect on the third day. In fact, Jesus told Peter as he turned to him, saying that he was acting like Satan when he said this and was actually a hindrance to Jesus because he had set his mind on the things of man and not of God. Perspective, right? Perspective is important. Without the suffering and death, there would be no resurrection. And without the resurrection, there is no eternal life. And the power of the kingdom of God is not known. And Jesus is saying that it is not enough to know the truth about his suffering, but that you must also conform to a suffering that you may come to know life eternal in him. Oh, the power of Christ, especially through our suffering. Believing in Jesus is conforming to his death, his burial, and his resurrection, and then living that out daily is what he calls us to. He was calling his disciples to do that very thing in that day, and he calls us to do that very thing today. Deny, take up, and follow. The suffering of Christ, again in verse 21. Jesus said, 
And he strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. When Peter confessed that Jesus was the Christ of God, at that very moment, I can just imagine, as far as Jesus was concerned, he was pleased with that answer because it was the truth. It was correct. It was a confession by Peter that was true. But as we read there in verse 21, he was telling his disciples, he commanded them to tell this to no one. What this means is that it wasn't time for this to be broadcasted to the world. That time would come. In fact, it would be done when he was lifted up on the cross. In John chapter 12, verse 32, it says, And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. But first, prior to the shedding of his blood on the cross, Jesus knew that it was the Father's will that he must suffer. Remember again, remember, and perhaps you find yourself in the same situation right now. I know as I was going through this, I came to the realization that I found myself in the same place. I must learn how to suffer well. As Christians, we not only need to learn how to live well, we must also learn how to suffer well. And we must also learn how to die well. We must learn those things to glorify the Lord and to bless Him and live out these words as the Apostle Paul stated this and wrote them. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And so we must remember the disciples were learning how to come under the authority of Christ, to follow instructions and to trust in Him. And that would be known in, the full, in its fullness when they received the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, as I had referred uh, to the day of Pentecost earlier. And the Holy Spirit, we know, would serve them in teaching them all things that have to do with life and godliness, leading them into all truth, giving them insight to the word of God and what Jesus was speaking to them and teaching them in this moment. For now, as we consider the people who are listening to Jesus, we have people who do not understand why the Messiah must suffer. They thought that he was there to, to deliver them out of political oppression, to make their, their life good. And so they didn't understand why the Messiah must suffer, why he must be rejected, why he must be killed, and on the third day be raised. But this was the Father's plan to know victory over, uh, for, for us to know victory over sin, to know victory over death. This is the story of redemption. And it is known only in Jesus' suffering, experiencing death, and being resurrected on the third day. 1 Peter 1, verses 20 and 21 says, He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. 
You know, after Jesus had told them this, he explained to them that he must suffer, be killed, resurrect after the third day. Peter rebuked him. Telling him that this would never happen to him. But Jesus began to explain to them what genuine discipleship looks like. At this point, as he turned his attention from, his, from the twelve, from his disciples, he turned to everyone. And he addressed everyone. You know, John 3, 16 and 17 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. So he directed his attention to everyone that was following him. Remember the... the, uh, previous conversation, the conversation leading into this portion, it's beginning in verse 23, was all a conversation that he was having with his closest followers, with his disciples, those whom he appointed as apostles. But he wanted everyone to know that eternal life would only be known in his suffering, in his death, and in his resurrection. And so he turned his attention to everyone else and continued, verse 23, and he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Now, for those who were following him in that day, remember that they were under Roman rule. Uh, One of their instruments of death uh, was the cross, the crucifixion. And so everyone who was listening to Jesus in that moment knew exactly what he was referring to. In fact, as we consider what he had just told his disciples, that you must suffer, be rejected, and killed, now he was telling them, you must do the same. Hmm. This doesn't sound like a victorious living (laughs) This doesn't sound like uh, everything is is good, is favorable, at least not in the eyes of uh, the world. And yet, Jesus was teaching them that this is indeed what is required. What was required of Jesus and what is required of us as followers of Jesus Christ We are not above the master. We are not above the teacher. If they did this to him, he told us. They'll do do it to you as well. Again, everyone listening to him knew exactly what it meant to carry a cross. I wish we didn't have to. I really do. I wish I could just come up and tell you all things will be rosy. If you have enough faith, you'll get what you ask for. To be prosperous and healthy. This side of heaven, 
That's not what God promises us, though. There were some things that Jesus taught that were very difficult to understand, or really not too difficult to understand, but to receive. The Romans put the worst of criminals to death on a cross, suffering an excruciating death, prolonged death, suffering not only pain and humiliation, but suffocation, the anguish of being nailed to a cross. Being able only to take breaths as you pull yourself up to a place to where you could take a breath and just drag yourself back down and hang there. It was reserved for the worst of criminals. They all knew it. But before being raised on the cross, each one who was condemned to the cross had to carry the cross section of the cross to their place of death. The cross to bear and carry was agonizing. It wasn't light. It was heavy. It meant certain death. It was an instrument of torture, of pain, of humiliation, of suffering, and ultimately of death. If they were to see a man carrying the cross section of the cross with Roman soldiers leading and following, they would know that that is a dead man walking. He was marching to his death. It was a path that he did not choose. And it was a path that he was not coming back from. Some things to think about as we consider how it is that Jesus said... If anyone would come after me, in other words, follow me, be my disciples. Let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. As we consider what they knew in that day of crucifixion. Upon closer inspection of these words and the things that Jesus was teaching his disciples. We ought to consider that for ourselves. You see, the sentence was determined, the cross was placed on the person, the path was given and commanded to follow, and death was applied. But here Jesus was telling his disciples that if anyone would follow him, that these were the things they would be choosing to do. Consider that. Consider these things. Because there's choices to be made. You choose to deny yourself. It's not something that God chooses for you. He calls you to that. It's not if we feel like it. It's not if it's convenient for you. It's if you fully understand what is offered to you by doing so. Because you choose to deny your liberties for yourself. You choose to pick up your cross and place that instrument of pain, humiliation, suffering, and death.
upon your own shoulders. And then you choose to then abide in Christ, to be obedient to Him, to follow Him, and to live your life as He did. How is that? Well, remember that Jesus' purpose was to do the will of the Father and to live for the sake of others, to give His life a ransom for many. And in so doing, He gave us the opportunity to choose eternal life, Him having paid in full the penalty of our own sins. Again, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 12 says, So death is at work in us, but life in you. You see, this is contrary to what the world teaches and encourages. But it is where we will know eternal life, the forgiveness of sin, where we will know God's grace and his power. The rest of the verses that we're going to go through explain why we are called to do this. Deny ourselves, pick up our cross, and follow Jesus. Because anything short of denying self, taking up our cross, and following Jesus is not knowing Him at all. We can say it. But if we're not willing to walk it out, then we don't know Him. Save or lose your life, be ashamed or unashamed of Jesus, choose His death or your death. It all comes down to choices. He goes on in verse 24. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? Listen, no matter what people say, even as Christians, there are too many people today, even within the church, that are still trying to rehabilitate the flesh. To make it better somehow. Books on doing this very thing fly off the shelves at the bookstore. Videos on the subject of improving self go viral on the internet, social media. Group programs are encouraged for people to participate in to overcome certain struggles, as we call them struggles, but they're actually sins. Listen, the only way a person will find eternal and abundant life is to put the flesh to death. And know the resurrected life that can only be known in Jesus Christ. I I know that all too well. There are many who know that. In Romans chapter 6, verse 5, the Apostle Paul writes, For we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall, for if we have been united with him in a death like his, We shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. So that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. 
For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Verse 12. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. we cannot claim to walk in the power of the Spirit and habitually allow ourselves to fall into sin. We cannot use the liberty of God's grace as license to sin. In fact, what we just read clearly explains to us how it is that in Christ, if we have surrendered our lives to Jesus Christ, we have not only died in him, and the power of sin also has died in him, but we are raised to new life in him and to the power of Christ in our lives. We ought to consider that. There is no rehabilitating the flesh. None whatsoever. The only way that we can overcome sin and death is by surrendering, giving our lives completely to the Lord. There there is no such thing as halfway. It's all or nothing. And even more than knowing victory over sin, a person who loses his life for Jesus' sake will save it. Which means that they will know eternal life. And in him you will know abundant life. That is a life that is victorious in Christ. That you you can walk out to his glory. And not be under the power of sin any longer. If there is no life after death. Then this all, it makes no sense whatsoever. And you can just go home. But because there is. Again, we go back to one thing. There's a choice to be made. Many people say they believe in life after death, but live as if this life was all there was. This was it. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 12, says, Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We're even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. 
If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Whereas by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all shall be made alive. All shall be made alive. And so we are in him. The resurrection of the dead. We are not preaching in vain. We are not preaching a fable. It is true that there is eternal life. There are choices to be made though. Jesus was telling them. And he was telling them repeatedly. That there is an afterlife. There is life after death. The soul goes on and yet its destination is chosen here. Right now. The offer is being made to everyone. Christianity is a faith of surrender. The giving of one's life to Jesus. Believing in his life, death and resurrection. As he said, for what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? He was calling them, hey, listen, I offer you life in that eternal. If you surrender your life to me, my exchange is that the blood that I have shed is full payment for your sins. And as you surrender your life to me, I will give you eternal life. My grace, forgiveness of sins. What an exchange. But choose this world. And what happens is you forfeit yourself to eternal condemnation. But choose Jesus, gain eternal life in God's glory. Forgiven by grace through faith in him. Choices. Ashamed or unashamed. Verse 26 says, For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory, in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. This is, as I consider this, again, it is just absolutely in opposition to how the world speaks. The world is filled with compromise. The world tells you to be happy at any cost. Do whatever it is that is pleasing to you. And yet this is, these are not the words of Peter. They're not the words of Paul, not John, not James, not any of those people, those men. These are the very words of Jesus himself. And he warns us, for whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. You see, many will laugh, will mock, and will scorn you for your belief in Jesus and your confirmation to his life, being conformed to his life. Those closest to you will mock you, will laugh at you, will scorn you. If it's not to your face, it's behind your back. And he warned us. He told us these things. 
Why does he deny himself? Look at that religious fool. What does he think he's gaining? Why doesn't he just join us and use the liberties that he thinks he has in Christ? After all, he's saved. The world will accuse you of being self-righteous. Oh, you think yourself to be better than everyone else because of the manner in which you live your life. You don't cuss. You don't swear anymore. You don't join in our jokes and things like that. You leave when certain things come up. You think you're better than everyone else. They'll think of you as being judgmental because you hold to that. Because you don't agree with everything that they do. You love them. If they were to just give you a chance. I know that the child of God desires that every person reach repentance But this is what the world will do. Are you ashamed to identify with Jesus? Or are you unashamed? When you are told at work or in certain places, you can pray, but don't pray in the name of Jesus. Do you comply? I pray we don't. I pray that we are unashamed to identify as followers of Jesus Christ, as disciples belonging to him. When someone is ashamed of someone else, they don't want to be seen together in public, compartmentalize live a certain way with certain people and then differently with others. It's hypocrisy. There's even a denial of the knowledge of that person. There is an avoidance of that person. Matthew chapter 10, verse 26 It says, so have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. Again, this is something that was being taught by Jesus to his disciples. 
And if we go on from there, Jesus said this. Verse 34, he says, Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. What will you do when you get pressured by those closest to you to compromise? And they give you the choice. It's either me or it's that Jesus that you're following. Choose today. What will you do? I would ask that you would choose today what you would do. A person who's ashamed of someone else doesn't want to be associated with that person because of what others might think of them. Or perhaps because the benefits they desire to gain from the others or other person might be lost if they admit to be associated with this person. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Given choices. Ashamed or unashamed of Jesus, will you confess him or will you deny him? His death or your death? Verse 27 says, But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. Now, some believe that this is referring to Jesus' transfiguration on the mountain when he brought Peter, James, and John and was there with Elijah and Moses, transfigured on the mountain. But this is a glimpse of his glory, and uh, they didn't see the power of the kingdom. This was actually seen after he was buried and resurrected on the third day, and they not only saw him for 40 days, his disciples, the power over, the victory over sin and death, but also his ascension after 40 days. Again, going to John chapter 3, verse 16. As we're given the choice, his death or your death. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light 
because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. You see, you're already dead in your trespasses. You're already condemned to eternal separation from God if you remain in your sin. But if you choose to surrender your life to Jesus Christ, then you are forgiven of your sins and you are assured of eternity in God's glory. And so choose. It's either victory over sin and death and Jesus' death and resurrection. Or it's sins and death's victory over you. And when you die, you will suffer for all eternity. There's no in-between. You know, um, church billboards, they can be, um, it's both serious and at the same time, sometimes it's, uh, it's funny, but it drives the point home. Billboard I read said this, quote, heaven has strict immigration laws. Hell has open borders. I hope you don't forget that, though. Wide and shallow is the path to eternal separation from God, death, destruction. In John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. It's it's only one. But when we come to that place of knowing salvation in Jesus Christ, we ought to follow that which is commanded by us to live out in our lives to deny ourselves, to pick up our cross and follow him, to proclaim him, to confess him, to never deny him, to be unashamed of him, to walk with him, to declare to all who are willing to hear, to listen, that we have found salvation, forgiveness of our sins in Christ and invite them to do the very same thing. In Ephesians chapter 2, as we come to a close, close says, uh, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, 
And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. But you have to, you have to choose. How's your walk with the Lord? Are, are you still struggling with the flesh? You need to repent. There, there's nothing else to do other than, again, just commit the flesh to death. That requires humility, that you lay down your pride. It requires you to confess Jesus and then to walk with him in the power of the Spirit. Are you willing to do that? For anyone who does not know salvation, may that decision be made today. For God desires, he wishes that none perish, but that all reach repentance. The offer is there. It's not to rehabilitate you. It's not for that. All that will come as well. If you surrender your life to Jesus Christ, there are, there are things that come with that. The power of sin and death are no longer over you. But that is not what he offers. He doesn't offer a deliverance from and fill in the blank. It's an offering of salvation, eternal life. Will you accept that? Salvation is known. It's experienced. It's lived out in Christ and those who know him. By living a life that denies self. Makes a choice of picking up the cross. And then following him. Dead to self, abiding in Christ, obeying his word. For all those who don't know Christ as Savior. Oh, just. Right now, don't even waste any time. I call on you, please, right now, close your eyes and just cry out to the Lord. Ask him for forgiveness. Ask him to be your Lord and Savior right now. We don't need any music. We don't need for everyone else to be praying for you. We know what the will of God is for, your, for you. Because your sin separates you from the Father, and yet he made a way for you to be forgiven and for you to know grace. Cry out to Jesus. Again, ask him for forgiveness and to be your Lord, your Savior. And for anyone else who is walking in compromise, repent. Let us humble ourselves before the Lord, denying ourselves, taking up our cross, and following him. Amen? Can we all stand? Father, we, we know, Lord, and we confess to you, Lord, that we, um, Lord, in some way, Lord, I, I know, I know myself personally, Lord, I continually need the empowering of your spirit, Lord, to, to help me. Lord, to live a life that is honoring and glorifying to you. And I, and I pray for anyone else, Lord, that would confess that, Lord, that, that we, Lord, want to be a people who bless you, who glorify you, who serve you with great joy, with great gratitude in our hearts. 
that, Lord, we would not be like Peter in that moment that was had, had a mind that was set on the things of the earth of man. But, Lord, we want our minds to be set on the things of heaven. Oh, Lord, we, we want to see things in the, in the heavenly realm. And that that would drive us to to bless you, that our relationships with each other would be honoring to you, with our children, with our family, Lord. But we would always, Lord, put you first, preeminent in everything. That we would never lower ourselves to the point of compromising and denying yourself denying you or or being ashamed of you but rather always confessing you and Lord being confident in our walks with you in our relationship with you in our love for you so Father thank you for loving us the way you did for God demonstrated his love and that while we were still sinners Christ died for us And I pray for anyone who does not know salvation in Christ, Lord, that today be the day of salvation. Right now, Lord, that they would simply surrender their lives to you and commit to following you, trusting in you. So, Father, thank you. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace. Your kindness draws us unto you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.